This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So this story caught our attention about the U.S. clearing Roche's coronavirus test. That's 10 times faster. Want to get into this with Dr. Amy Compton Phillips. She's Chief Clinical Officer, Executive VP at Providence St. Joseph Health. Uh, Health. She's joining us on the phone from Everett, Washington. Remember, the first U.S. case of the virus confirmed in Washington State at Providence Regional Medical uh, Center in Everett. So part of the hospital system that uh, Dr. Amy Compton Phillips works at. Um, Got to say, uh, Dr. Compton Phillips, so great to have you here. I feel like you have been uh, one of the more informed voices for us on this. You talked about reaching out to Roche earlier in the week with us about looking to get those reagents which are necessary for the testing. Can you clarify for our world and our listeners and viewers um, where we are on a test for more Americans? We are well. Thank you so much for for uh, having me back again. And you know, one of the downsides of being early on in the epicenter of the initial outbreak is uh, we've had to learn early and learn fast, and want to make sure that we're sharing what we're learning rapidly with the rest of the country, so you can avoid going down our path. Um, and what we're learning about the test is is that the reagents, the logjam, is slowly starting to break. Um, it's not broken up yet, but with Uh, commercial labs coming online with Roche really increasing their capacity, their manufacturing capacity, um, that we are starting to see a little glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. And so while we don't yet have great capacity, we're still looking at, um, with the existing tests, uh, anywhere from uh, the the best turnaround time is about a day, um, and there's often it's three to four days until we get a test back. We're at least starting to see some opening up. Well, Dr. Compton Phillips, I have to say, just as an aside, we do really enjoy talking to you. And as soon as we saw this news break, Carol turned to me in the newsroom and said, we have to call Amy. (laughs) So uh, we really do uh, appreciate it. Uh, And we just call you Amy. Sorry. We should probably be more respectful. It's a lot Uh, shorter than Compton Phillips. There you go. Um, But I do have to ask you, I mean, we just heard from the Speaker of the House who essentially said the core of the proposal, the bill that they have passed is testing, testing, testing. Remind us why, I mean, it it may seem obvious and certainly seems obvious, I'm sure to you, why testing is so important and why it being the missing link in all this has really held back our response. Um, it's, it's a great question. We, in order for us to mitigate spread, in order as for us to actually start containing without shutting down the entire country, this virus, we have to know who has it. Um, and because this virus can cause very mild symptoms, just cold kinds of symptoms um, in about 80% of people, maybe a mild flu with congestion, a little bit of headache, a little bit of aches and pains. Well, you know, that happens a lot this time of year, cold and flu season. And so, so we need to understand who has the regular uh, cold, flu, even hay fever right now, um, and who has COVID, so that we can make sure people with COVID stay isolated and don't pass the germ on to other people, and so we can actually start limiting the spread. 
So what's going on in cities and states around the country, that's what we need to do. I know Dr. Anthony Fauci, I think, came out and said something about, you know, everyday life could last up to eight weeks in terms of disruptions in our everyday life. But what we're doing, the shutting down, this is kind of equivalent to what China did in terms of their quarantine. It's exactly right. In fact, we had a nice long call this morning with some um, clinicians that are still in the thick of it, but but they're they're much on the upswing in China, um, and that's exactly what they did. They basically shut everything down. They limited all human to human contact um, because they didn't have the testing capacity for everybody. So they just they just assumed everybody had it until proven otherwise, um, and so they had people with their temperature taken before they came in and went out of any building. If you left a, t- a city, a town. Um, you you had to self-quarantine again for 14 days. Um, so, I mean, there was very strict uh, social distancing that was dramatically enforced in China. And now, because they did that early, now they're actually getting their economy back up and running again right. and are able to restart. And so, so by, by clamping down early, um, they were actually able to stop the spread. All right. And tell us what's going on on the ground there where you are uh, at this point. Where are we? Where we are is we know that we have a significant number of people with the disease, and it's around three weeks after um, for people who it's going to get bad in and actually turn into pneumonia and need hospitalization support. About three weeks from the time you get the disease to the time that you have to get admitted to the hospital. And so we are anticipating and we're rapidly ramping up um, our capacity to care for people, including things like ICU beds and ventilator beds. Um, and so it, we're very much looking forward to hearing what the president says, because we suspect that our demand in the Seattle area is going to outstrip the supply of capacity that we have. And so we're going to we're going to be looking for assistance. Yeah, I'm hearing about that a lot from the medical community. So just clarify for me. So if you think you've been exposed, you need to stay home for two weeks. Absolutely. You need to stay home for two weeks. You just need to keep your um, yourself isolated with the exception of, of um, first responders and healthcare workers. And what the CDC, uh, CDC guidance says right now is if you are a healthcare worker and you are a health a first responder, because virtually everybody's had an exposure at this yeah. point, um, you keep going to work wearing a mask and monitor yourself for any symptoms. And as soon as you have symptoms, then you self-isolate. Right. Just 20 seconds. What's the symptom that everybody should really be watching out for themselves that says that maybe something Fever. might be? Fever. Fever. High fever. Fever. Uh, it, fever. Fever above 100.4 degrees. If it's above 100.4 degrees, then that's when you pay attention. All right. All right. That's why we talk to you. Thank you so much. It's direct and to the point. Um, and I know she's got a busy world right now, uh, but so we really appreciate her checking in with us a couple times this week. Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, she's Chief Clinical Officer, Executive VP at Providence St. Joseph Health, on the phone from Everett, Washington. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly and Carol Masser here with you. Justin Fox uh, back with us, yes. uh, columnist for Bloomberg Opinion. Uh, he had a great piece we are featuring in our weekend show uh, this weekend. Very appropriately joining us, uh, he did for that show via Skype, uh, I right. believe. Because it was all about working from home. And uh, that's where we find him. And that's where we find him, working at home in New York City. Justin, great to have you back with us. Great to be here, but not there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mean really great 
not to be here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're making the right choice. Um, so you have another piece in the magazine this week. You're a hardworking guy, as always. Uh, help us understand the math that you did and sort of the approach you took. The headline sort of says it all. The most important coronavirus number is how many survive. Well, this is something, and I wrote a um, piece for Bloomberg Opinion a week or so ago that this is kind of a condensation and update of, but it's just people are talking so much about what the survival rate is from this disease, and it it varies, and right now, of the cases that the World Health Organization knows about, it's something like 3.5% of the people with confirmed cases have died, which is, I mean, it's really bad. Um, It's not like getting smallpox or Ebola virus, but it, it's a lot. But I, I think there's a to if you think about it as okay, if you're a 30 year old person, your risk is probably pretty low of dying. I mean, you're not going to die of this. Um, and I think a lot of the commentary I've seen, although this has definitely been shifting over the last week, is people saying, why are we getting so freaked out about this thing that for most people there's a more than 99% chance of surviving, even if you get it. Um, and the reason is simply, you know, if you look at the flu pandemic of 1918, 99.3% of Americans did not die of the flu that year. And it was still the deadliest disease outbreak we've ever had in this country. Right. It still has consequences, and it's still yeah. serious. And we can certainly see that happening. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. And I have to say at home, we've been talking, too, about shouldn't we just, you know, those who are most at risk, take them to kind of a safe place, uh, if you will. Get them out because that's those are the ones that are most at risk of really having serious health complications or possibly dying. Right. I mean, I or just, I mean, take them to a safe place or let them stay at home and yeah. maybe bring things to them. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and, and what it is with the rest of us and, and why all these events are being shut down and everything else is if you slow, you know, by, by the, the idea, which I talked about in, in, in the other piece for Business Week, is this idea of R naught, which is the sort of the yeah. contagiousness of the disease. You know, one factor in it is how much contact people are having with each other. So all of these measures that are being taken are trying to reduce how many contacts people are having with one another, which then reduces the contagiousness of the disease. Um, and and so that, you know, that, I, I, I sort of feel like the whole world has come around to this, or not the whole world. I'm sure there's lots of people who are out there who are kind of puzzled by it, but definitely like in the New York area, in the San Francisco area, in the Boston area, it's being taken very seriously now that we need to do something to slow this down. Because the other issue is that if all this happens at once and this spreads uncontrolled, what you get is our hospital system simply cannot um, care for all of the patients that would show up. Yeah, I feel like all of us have sort of gone back to our statistics classes and in terms of understanding, I was talking about this with my 17-year-old this morning, the idea of, you know, flattening the curve uh, in in order to not, you know, overly tax the medical system. And I was starting to explain it to him and he's like, yeah, I understand math. Anyway, that's (laughs) that's neither here nor there. He's 17. But um, but truly this idea of changing human behavior and even sort of self-quarantining or just, uh, you know, sort of making the right choices. And yet then we turn to a story that crossed the Bloomberg not too long ago. And you may or may not have seen it, Justin, about, you know, Disney fans like rushing to get to Disney World or Disneyland before they shut down. These are ultimately humans who 
some of whom are not making good decisions because Disneyland and Disney World are not closing just for fun. In fact, they are closing so that people don't show up. So there's right. no accounting for human behavior at the end of the day, right? Yeah, and I just think there's a wide, there's still a very wide array of how much thought people have given to this yeah. so far. And I, I feel like in, you know, people who are paying a lot of attention to the media, people who are on Twitter, people who live in, you know, Seattle or Boston are, are getting to be kind of aware. But I think, and I, I will say, you know, if in a lot of the country, I'm sure the risk is still a lot lower right now of yeah. running into somebody with coronavirus. Although I would think going to a place like Disney World, um, where people come from all over, there's sure to be somebody there who has it. You may not have any contact with them, but... I mean, I, I just don't see how a full park at Disney World would not have a few people um, right. out there. It's a lot of big numbers at this point. So, yeah. so Justin, what we talked about for um, the, our weekend show on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg TV is this whole idea, though, of working home. It's really simple. Um, you're doing it. You've been doing it. Um, I don't know. Is this something that ultimately catches on a little bit more uh, going forward? I've had people tweeting at me and like, I've been working home for a long time. I get that. It's a little bit lonely, though. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's been fascinating is my wife has been working at home for a while, and I, I have a much clearer idea of what she spends her day doing now, which is interesting. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow, she has to talk to people on conference calls a lot. That's, right. that's what most people have to do when they have to work at home. And, I, I mean, part of it is I have this ridiculous job where it, I, I could, as long as I have an interconnect, Internet connection and a computer, I can work anywhere. It doesn't matter. It, there's no, it's nice to go into an office and see people and have big computer screens and a really fast connection, but I don't need it at all. Also I, the snacks, I'm not doing right? doing a lot of video conferencing. What's that? Also the snacks, Justin, here at Blue. Well, and the snacks. That's true. <laughs> well, but I love what you told us for the weekend show is you said, hey, uh, I do have to think about, though, if I'm on Skype or Nexi and I'm talking to uh, colleagues that I'm make sure that it's not the liquor cabinet in the background, but maybe it's right. my library and my bookcases. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I probably over the coming weeks will be doing spending some time setting up a better single home office setup because our son is coming home from college and it's going to get kind of crowded here and lately my wife and I have just been sort of trading different parts of the living room and family room but right. I think uh, need to yeah. do No, it's a, it's a good point though because I do think people are starting to adjust to thinking about this as maybe uh, longer term and, and not just a, a few days here and there. Justin Fox, thank you so much. Uh, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, a couple great stories in this special edition of Bloomberg Business Week. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So we know without a doubt, pretty obvious, the leisure industry getting slammed because of the coronavirus. As a whole, hotels, resorts, and cruise line stocks, man, they're down more than 50% this year. Let's look, though, specifically at the cruise line industry, which has been especially hard hit. James Hardiman is Managing Director of Equity Research and Leisure Analyst over at Wedbush Securities. He joins us on the phone from New York City. Are you working from home? Uh, I am. And okay. I'm actually in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, you so, are? Yeah. I think okay. That's, that's <laughs> so you're in Cleveland. Yep. All right. Well, good to know. Good to know. We did see a headline cross. Charlie Pellet and I and Jason were talking about it earlier. I think was it one of the cruise lines um, stopping uh, certain services. This industry is being hit so hard. Um, I'm assuming, is it safe to say that once we get through this, they bounce back? Does everybody bounce back? Or who's most vulnerable at having a tougher time getting through this? Yeah, I mean, these are all 
the right questions to be asking. Um, first of all, let's just get through the, the news that literally just hit 10 minutes ago. Norwegian yes. did announce a, a voluntary suspension of all voyages between now and April 11th, uh, so a month from now. I, I thought that that's been inevitable in some way, shape, or form, whether they did it or the government did it. it it's unprecedented. It's history-making. It's massively impactful, but I think it's inevitable. Uh, I think the pressure will only grow from here for the other cruise lines to follow suit. Royal Caribbean, as we speak, has been halted. That stock has been halted. I think there's a good chance that they've got similar news to announce on that front. And I'm going to uh, we'll say that uh, one yeah, uh, looks like one uh, business journal saying that Royal Caribbean will lay off over 800 contractors. So as you're right, there's going to be some news here. Correct. I mean, that, that's not why it's holding. No, them, no. I think they're, they're preparing for that. But I think the answer to your question is, I do think these companies will make it. But basically, the, the bet that people are making at this point is, if you're investing in cruise stocks, is to that very question. Uh, if these companies are able to sustain all of this, I think a year from now, they'll be worth double to triple. Uh, but the name of the game right now is capital preservation. And I think you're going to see a series of moves with, with that in mind. We've seen some of that earlier this week. Uh, both Royal and Norwegian added, you know, 500 to, to $700 million of additional dry powder uh, in the form of revolvers. That's what this is all about right now. And so, and, and to be go, go, ahead. go ahead, James. I was going to say, to be clear, I think the likelihood of some sort of liquidity event for these companies is, is low. Um, but it's not zero, hmm. uh, and it's significantly higher than it was a week ago, a month ago, you know, to start the year, right? right? So what that percentage is, again, I think it's, it's, it's quite low, but it, it, it's how everybody, I think investors and certainly these companies, are thinking about weathering the storm. I think this is going to last a long time. Um, I think it's going to be until a, a vaccine comes out, before people feel comfortable getting on cruises again in, in, in large numbers. Uh, and, you know, I don't think anybody expects that to happen for, for a year. And I just want to point out Nor Norwegian, which had been halted specifically, uh, has resumed trading. Looks like it's up about 13% in today's session. So I just wanted to point that out. And they, those Correct. stocks and have been was, brutalized. Yeah, Norwegian was up a little bit more than that. So it's off from before it was halted, but it, it's still up 11%. Yeah. I think people rightfully see that that's, that's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah, you're right. It was up, was it, oh God, 40% today? God, nuts. Um, so, James, talk to us about, uh, if we can switch gears a little bit, the theme park business, because we were talking about some headlines yep. earlier that both Disney World and Disneyland are set to be closed, although you have people uh, still showing up, uh, apparently today, to try and get those last rides in. That feels very significant, uh, and obviously they're not the only theme parks in the game, but I would argue the most visible. Uh, how does this play through that sector? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to be hugely impactful. Now, the good news for companies, well, the good news for Disney World and Disneyland uh, and, and Universal, for that matter, uh, Universal Theme Parks, is that they're a small part right. of <clears throat> massively profitable companies right and and so you know disney has a lot of things that might benefit you know streaming for example right disney plus may, is may, looking better and better right now right it's it look, it looking better and better and so 
um, if you've got the, the balance sheet, um, it, this becomes a, a much easier decision. As I think about some of the pure plays, right? So SeaWorld, um, which also announced that, that they're going to be closing parks for a period of time. Um, you know, they have a number of parks that are open right now. The good news for companies like Six Flags and Cedar Fair is that the vast majority of their parks are not open right now and don't open, aren't expected to open until April, in most cases, May sometime. Uh, but again, if you think this is going to be, uh, uh, you know, not a couple-week thing, but a multi-month thing, maybe lasting uh, much longer than that, um, I think you're going to see those companies uh, do everything that they can to, to, to bolster their balance sheets uh, and to have as much dry powder available to them as, as humanly possible. Hey, James, let me just ask you, who in your universe that you cover uh, within the cruise line industry, the theme parks and so on, are most vulnerable? Are, are there any names that you're worried about maybe considering downgrading uh, because it's going to be tougher for them to come out on the other side because of the virus? Yeah, I mean, cruise lines are clearly, if, if there's another industry on the planet that is more, you know, at risk to this, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, now, again, the good news is the three public cruise companies are big, you know, savvy, well-capitalized companies. Um, could there be smaller, you know, cruise operations that, that go under? Yeah, yeah but th- those aren't public companies. Um, clearly, the, you know, you, you hit on, we've hit on both of them. Cruise lines and theme parks, I think, are going to be the, the most in, in jeopardy here. Um, and we'll just have to see from there. All right. I would say that – go ahead. All right. We're going to leave it there just as we await the president, James Hardiman, Managing Director of Equity Research and Leisure Analyst for Wedbush Securities, joining us on the phone from Cleveland. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.